Uh, we're now going to have our Bible reading, um, which is in the book of Jonah. Um, hopefully there's a Bible nearby at the end of one of the pews. Have a look behind. If not, um, it'd be great to read along. Um, so it's the book of Jonah, uh, which is on page 936. It's 936. And we're going to start at the end of chapter 3, so chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord... Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind And the sun bent down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Maybe you're listening along right there. We heard a prophet who was angry, who was infuriated, who just seemed fed up. Have you ever had those times in your life where you feel infuriated, where you feel fed up, where you just want to cry out, that's wrong, that's an injustice, that shouldn't have happened? Well, I'm going to take you to an event in my life where that happened. It was my fourth birthday. And at my fourth birthday, me, my family, and my friends had gone to the beach. 
and we have a distant cousin who owns a beach hut. So we're all in this beach hut, and it came to eating all of the party food, and then came the highlight, the birthday cake. Your birthday cake's got to be the highlight because you get to blow your candles out. And so my family was singing happy birthday to me, and then one of my cousins reaches over, takes a big inhale, and then blows my candles out. But, but in the chaos of this small little beach and all the people, nobody actually noticed. And I, I don't know why I didn't kick up more of a fuss, because I was horrified. Now, for the last, what, I'm 31 now, the last 27 years, I've been telling my family, that happened on my fourth birthday. You know, my candles got blown out. And everybody said, no, no one blew your candles out. If they did, we would have relighted those candles. I said, no, but you didn't. My cousins were blown out by one of my cousins. No, James, your memory's wrong. That wouldn't have happened. Ah, but this Christmas, I got given some old family footage DVDs. (laughs) Way back, and guess what was on there? My fourth birthday in the beach hut. Now, now the footage and the sound is awful. Some of it kind of blanks out uh, in places, but you'll see just on the right of the footage, a cousin who blows out my candles. I, I had to hold this up to my computer to try and film it, but you'll, you'll see right here. <laughs> Look at this. Look at the, be sure to see the face, okay? I'm horrified. Do you see that? Did you look? Do you see that? Nobody, nobody, nobody believed me. But I've got evidence. There, there is the cousin right there taking an inhale. It actually happened. And look at how I felt. Look at that. Look at that. So you know, you know what I did? You know what I, did? I went? I went from there, from the beach. I didn't want to make a fuss, so I went down to the beach after the party. I'll get rid of that down to the beach after the party, and I sat on the sand, propped up against one of the concrete walls there, and I just sulked. I was kind of simmering away with frustration and anger. I can't believe that happened, and they didn't relight my candles. It happened to one of my kids a couple of years ago. Somebody at the party blew out the candles, and some, someone else goes, oh, we don't need to relight them. And I said, yes, we do. Relight. <laughs> relight those candles. Blow them out. <laughs> And so I'm sitting there on the beach, just absolutely livid at this, just infuriated, sulking, just simmering away in my own frustration. I wonder if you've had those moments in your life where somebody has done something to you or somebody you love, something's happened that's just caused you to just boil over with anger. You've been frustrated or you have been infuriated and you've just wanted a soul confessor on that. Well, that's exactly where we find Jonah this morning. Jonah has witnessed one of the most effective sermons in history. Five words and 120,000 people's lives are transformed. He's just preached an amazing sermon. The whole city is now transformed. And there's Jonah sitting outside of the city, bubbling away. He's sulking. He's simmering. Jonah is infuriated. But what is it that Jonah is infuriated by? What's the big problem? Well, Jonah has just witnessed the magnificence, the breadth, and the depth of God's grace. And Jonah is infuriated, get this, at the depth of God's grace. That seems like a strange thing to say, doesn't it? I mean, we love grace. We we sing amazing grace. We name our children grace. We call churches grace. We love to talk about grace. But is it at all possible that grace could be infuriating? 
Is it possible that God's grace could go so deep that it causes us to be angry? Could we ever be infuriated by God's grace? Now that's Jonah's struggle, and I think we can identify with it. So I want to find out this morning, why is Jonah infuriated by God's grace? Is it possible that God's grace could be infuriating to people like us? So when we grab our Bibles, let's have them open here, and we'll begin to explore our way through. Now, now what we have in Jonah chapter 4 is, is like, it's like we're flies on the wall of this dialogue between God and Jonah. There's lots of back and forth questions. God is drawing Jonah out to realizations. We get this privileged position where we can kind of be that fly on the wall and just have an ear to this conversation that goes on. But why don't we start at the end of chapter 3 to set the scene right here. When God saw what they did, you know, that's Nineveh, when they turn to God, how they turn from their evil way, God relented. So this is his mercy. God relented of disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now you think here, at this point, any other normal thinking prophet would have erupted in celebration at this. Like, you think about some of the other prophets in the Bible, if they had preached such an effective five-word sermon, then you would expect them to just kind of bubble over with rejoicing. I can't believe it! 120,000 people and their animals, their lives are absolutely changed. Now, any normal prophet, I think, would have said, that's great, I can go back to Israel and get on with my life, job done, mission accomplished. I mean, that's how you would expect, but Jonah doesn't respond like that. We get some really strong, visceral words as we read about Jonah's response. Let's read the first three verses again, as we, uh, uh, chapter 4. Listen out as we read through this. Listen out for the words that describe Jonah's emotions, and listen out for some of the words Jonah uses to describe God's character. Look at this. Verse 1 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly... And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are, look at this, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah knows a thing or two about his God. Verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is just done here. He's fed up. He's exceedingly displeased and he's angry. And yet he seems to have so much clarity when it comes to understanding the character of God. And so what we have right here, Jonah is displeased at the reality of God's grace going to those people, those Ninevites. Now, now look at what Jonah says right there. This is why I initially ran to Tarshish. You remember in chapter 1, the call comes to Jonah and he runs the opposite direction. So this shows us that Jonah isn't running because he's terrified of them. It's not like Jonah is saying, I'm scared for my own life, so I'm going to go that way. Neither is Jonah running because he doesn't think God is gracious enough. I think that's key. Jonah's not saying, God, you're calling me to go to Nineveh, but I don't really know if you're going to be that gracious and forgive those people. He's not running because of that. Jonah's running precisely because he knows God is gracious. Do you see that? 
Jonah's admittance right there. I know you're gracious. I know you're merciful. You're abounding in steadfast love. You're slow to anger and you relent from disaster. Because Jonah knows this about God, that's why he's running. Now think about that. How do we understand that? Why is Jonah running then? Why did he initially try to go to Tarshish in the opposite direction? Well, it was simply because he knew God was gracious, but he didn't want God's grace to go that far. He knew God's grace was wide. He knew God's grace was deep, but he just didn't want God's grace to go to those Ninevites. You remember, these are the people that everyone hated. This was the brutal country. This is the kind of people that everyone else looked on and said, you just turned my stomach. I don't like you. I don't want to be anywhere near you. And Jonah says, I don't want God's grace to go that far. And so Jonah's sitting, sulking outside of the city, simmering away. And he's just saying, I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. Do you ever have those I knew it moments in your life? When you think to yourself, I don't know, uh, I've got to be at a meeting for this time, so you know what, I'm going to leave at 10 past, and I'll just, I'll kind of wing it. I don't think there's going to be any traffic or whatever. And then you get halfway through the journey, and you hit a traffic jam, and you say to yourself, I knew this was going to happen. I just knew it. Or what about when you give, let's say, for example, some, a plate of spaghetti bolognese to your kids or grandkids, and you, you say to yourself, no, no, or you say to the kids, uh, please, please watch out, this doesn't get all over you or all over the table, it's really hard to clean out. Uh, so so you then you, you carry on with your chores or whatever, and you come back, and there's spaghetti bolognese on the floor, on the shirt, and on the ceiling. And you just say, I, I just knew it. I just knew that was going to happen. When I was in my late teens, I worked at Matalan, a Saturday job. It's just this big clothing store on the, uh, on the uh, uh, Morton Hall estate, just on the east side of Berry. And I worked there on Saturday mornings, and I remember Christmas time. It was really, really busy, so we had to put in extra hours. And so there were all the, the Christmas gifts people were buying, and the store was really, really busy. And I woke up one Saturday morning, kind of mid-December. I got out of the shower. I looked in the mirror to see a giant, giant, giant red spot on the end of my nose. And it was just huge. It wasn't just slightly to the left or slightly to the right or somewhere halfway up. It was a big, shiny red spot right on the end of my nose. And I thought, there's nothing I can do about this spot. I've got to go to work. I've just got to face all of the laughter that's going to come my way. So, so, so I made it to work, and all of my friends at work gave me a bit of grief about it, but they were quite kind. And then I had to go out to work on the tills. So everybody who was coming along through the tills uh, uh, were trying, trying their best not to look at the spot on the end of my nose without laughing. But the first lady I served, lovely, sweet old lady, she came up and I was kind of, ch- uh, kind of doing the barcode for all of her stuff and then came to the total and she paid and I said, have a great day. And she said, have a great Christmas, Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. So ever since then, I've always had a big fear that round about Christmas time, I'll get a big red spot on the end of my nose. And do you know, last Christmas, 2018, in the middle of December, I got a spot on the end of my nose. And I don't think any of you actually said, well, maybe you didn't realize, but if you did, you were very kind and didn't say anything. But I remember as I got up in that morning, I looked in the mirror, I knew it's December, I knew it. The worst nightmare, I knew that was going to happen. I just knew it. We have those I just know moments all the time in our lives. We worry about way too much. We're anxious about things. And when it does happen, I knew it. I can't believe I didn't see that coming. 
And so Jonah is sitting outside of the city. God, you're gracious. God, you're merciful. You relent from disaster. What's just happened in Nineveh? You've forgiven them. I knew it. I knew my worst nightmare was going to come true. But what's going on in Jonah's heart? He's not able to comprehend God's grace. He's not able to see that God's grace should and can go to the Ninevites. And so so God has to kind of draw something out of Jonah. He has to teach this guy a lesson. Look at verse 4. The lesson begins. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Now, what what does that mean? That's essentially God saying to Jonah, what have you got to be angry about? (laughs) What's the big problem, Jonah? And so God frames this in a question. It's something God does so often in the Bible, is he'll ask a question to one of his people or, or all of his people to try and draw out a realization. You'll often do it perhaps when you're around kids. Maybe you're working with kids in one of the groups here at BRBC, and you, you ask questions to answer, to, with the answers that you already know to draw out a realization. I mean, God, God already knows Jonah's heart, but God's asking a question. Why would God be asking a question that he already knows the answer to? Well, he's trying to get Jonah to see something, isn't he? Take, for example, Genesis chapter 3. Humankind have just fallen, and they go and hide. There's that famous verse. We were hiding in the undergrowth. We were afraid because we were naked, so we hid. And then God walks through the garden, and what does he say? Where are you? God knows where they are. He knows why they're hiding. He knows what happened. But why is he asking the question? To draw out a realization. To bring out some kind of a confession from them. You go to Genesis chapter 4, for example, and the famous story of Cain and Abel. Cain's just murdered his brother Abel. And God asks the question, Hey Cain, where's your brother Abel? And Cain responds, Am I my brother's keeper? But, but God's asking the question. Why is he asking the question? He already knows the answer. But he's trying to draw out a realization. He's teaching his people something. So he's asking Jonah a question. He already knows why Jonah is angry. He already knows why he's upset and sulking outside of the city. But he's got a realization to draw out. And it's a realization that we need as well. So what God does is he sends an object lesson to teach Jonah and draw out that realization. Look at verse 5. Let's read verse 5 down to verse 8 again. And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. It's like a tent. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. It's like Jonah's just licking his lips at the thought of their destruction. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might be a shade over his head to save him from the discomfort. And look at this. And Jonah was exceedingly glad, a swinging of emotions here, because of the plant. But when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on his head, on the head of Jonah, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Think about this right here. We've got Jonah's emotion just swinging like a pendulum. Starts by being really, really angry, exceedingly displeased, 
fed up at the grace that's been shown to the people he hates most. And then this plant comes up, and what do we see? He's exceedingly glad. He's really happy for this small grace in the desert, blistering sunshine. And then this plant dies. What happens? The pendulum swings back again. And what do we have? Jonah is so upset. He's so angry. He's so down in the dumps and downcast that he just wants to die. Look, I'm done, God. Just kill me. I'm fed up with all of this. So the object lesson is the plant and the worm, the plant that doesn't even last a day. But what is God teaching Jonah through this object lesson? Well, that begins to be unfolded. Look at verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry? Now, he adds a bit on the question here. For the plant. You know, he just said before, do you do well to be angry? But this time, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. You want to know how fed up I am about this plant situation? Kill me now. I'm done. But then verse 10, God's going to draw this out. He wants to draw this realization out of Jonah. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. Look at this. For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. Which came into being in a night and perished in a night. You're upset about that, Jonah. Verse 11. And should not I pity Nineveh, a great city in which there are more than 120,000 people which do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You see what God's trying to say to Jonah right here. Jonah, you are bothered by a tiny little plant that didn't even last beyond a day. You are caught up, so bothered and moved by this plant that you want to end your life. If you can be bothered about a plant, Jonah, can I not be bothered about an entire city? Can I not be bothered by 120,000 people and all of the livestock in that city? Jonah, you're so caught up over this. Jonah, you need to get out of yourself. Jonah, can you see that if you're moved by that, I can certainly be moved by 120,000 people in this one giant city. So what we have right here is A very, very generous God who's looking sympathetically upon a bunch of people who don't know they right from their left, which means they're spiritually blind. So God is compassionately and sympathetically looking upon these spiritually blind people and saying, Jonah, can I care for these people? If you're moved by the plant, can I be moved by a city as massive and important and as populated as that? Can I care for them? Now, this book seems to finish abruptly, doesn't it? I don't know if you noticed that as we were reading. It was just like moving through the story, dialogue with Jonah and God, and then done. We don't get to finish it, do we? It's not like the end of the story finishes with, oh, yeah, Jonah goes. Uh, I see what you're trying to teach me, God. And then Jonah becomes a pastor in Nineveh. We don't see that, do we? We don't read, we don't read the end of the story going, Oh, Jonah suddenly realized what what, what God was going to say. So he danced around and rejoiced at that fact. And they all lived happily ever after. Jonah doesn't finish with, Jonah rejoiced at the reality of the depths of God's grace. And he returned to Israel with a spring in his step because God reached the undeserving Ninevites. We don't read that, do we? I mean, Jonah just finished with such an abrupt kind of cliffhanger. Why does Jonah, why does it finish like that? Why why is this so abrupt? What what would be the answer? I think it's a really simple answer. 
The thing is, what's, what's going on is that the whole book of Jonah has been something like a mirror, or should we say a spotlight, that exposes some of the dark corners of the hearts of God's people. And it's, it's almost like the author finishes so abruptly because they're saying, look, look, look into this mirror of the book of Jonah. Can you see into this? Can you see Jonah's heart hidden away inside of your own? Can you see, reader, into this and see yourself? It's almost as though the reader is saying, Jonah had a lot to learn about how much God loves the unlovable. Why don't you finish the rest of the story? Reader, can you see yourself here? Why don't you pen the last few verses here? There's no chapter 5. But what are you, reader, going to do about this? You see, one of Jonah's main problems here is that he can't comprehend that God's grace would go to such a deplorable and unlovable people like the Ninevites. I think of Luke chapter 4, a famous, a famous, a famous story in Jesus' life. He's just come out of the wilderness from the temptation, and he goes into the synagogue in Nazareth. And he's in the synagogue in Nazareth. He stands up, and he opens the scroll from Isaiah. And he goes to Isaiah chapter 61. And he quotes a very important hope in the Old Testament. So they've come to proclaim good news to the poor and set at liberty the captive. There's more to it, but then Jesus goes and sits down. And everybody in the room is excited. Everybody is just kind of overjoyed because Jesus says, this has been fulfilled in your hearing today. What's Jesus saying? I'm the one who's come to bring good news to the captives and the poor. I'm the one who's come for you. Everybody rejoices in the synagogue. And then Jesus goes ahead and tells two stories about God's grace going to people who aren't Jews. He tells some stories from the Old Testament. And all of a sudden, the people are enraged. The people are bothered that they grab Jesus, they drag him through the town, and they try and push him off a cliff, but he kind of mysteriously moves through their midst, it says. Their problem was getting over the fact that God's grace could go to people who are different than them. Their problem was they couldn't believe that their God and his grace could go beyond the ends of their own fingertips. What's the problem with Jonah? Jonah cannot compute that a gracious God, remember, he knows God's gracious. He knows God's merciful. But he cannot handle the fact that God's grace would go to unlovable people. That God's grace would go to the unwanted that, God's grace, that would, God's grace would go to the people who just turn our stomach, that we despise, who have hurt us and hurt the innocent. That God's grace is really that deep. Jonah can't compute that. And God's showing him. And the book finishes abruptly. Hey, reader, do you know how far God's grace really goes? Do you know how deep his grace really is? Why is God's grace so infuriating? Why does it make Jonah bubble? With rage. Why is it bothering to us at times? Because his grace goes further than we ever imagined. Because his grace is deeper than we ever thought it could be. The depths of God's grace. When we see that, things change. So, so how does this weigh in on our lives though? Because Jonah's challenge is to see how deep God's grace is. How, how does that weigh in on us? Because we live 
normal everyday lives in 21st century Suffolk. I mean, we're not Jonah, and we're not talking to Ninevites, and we're not in this part of the world over 2,000 years ago. I mean, that's, that's not us. How does this lean in and weigh in on our everyday lives? Well, I think quite simply, because there are people in our lives that we really struggle with. There are people in our lives that we don't like. There are people in our lives who we would rather God's grace not go to. There are people in our lives when we have a hard time contemplating that God's grace would be that deep and go that far to them. I'll bring this down to earth as much as possible. We'll talk about three categories of people, I'm guessing, we might have in our lives. I'll call them the offender. I'll call them the... uh, I'll call them the offender. Oh, God. I've forgotten. The unsanitized and the enemy. The offender, the unsanitized, and the enemy. What do I mean by the offender? The offender is, is those people in our society who have hurt the innocent, who have hurt us, or have hurt some people who really, really didn't deserve it. Let me give you an illustration. Only a few days ago, uh, someone said to me, hey, James, I'm going to go visit a prison in a few weeks' time. And I'm going with a Christian ministry, and we're going to show these guys the grace of God. We're going to open up the Bible. We're going to share God's love with these guys. But we'd love to take some cookies with us. Could you bake some cookies? I said, yeah, I'm not very good at baking cookies, but I'll give it a go. I'll be happy to break, bake, bake a few dozen for you so you can take them into the prison. And he goes, great, thanks so much. These sex offenders are going to love that. Wait, what did, what did you just say? I mean, me baking cookies to take them into a, into a prison, but those kind of people? I mean, could God's grace really go that far to the people who've hurt innocent people in that way? Does God's grace go that far? That uncovered the Jonah within my heart. God's grace can go that far? The answer from Jonah is yes, and infuriatingly so. What about about the second category, the unsanitized? What do I mean by that? What's just the kind of people in our lives that we look at and just think, "Um, if I spent time with you, I'd feel a little bit silly, or you might kind of take my reputation down a couple of notches. If I spend time, I don't really like the way that you talk. I don't like the way you raise your children. And uh, if I spent time with you, um, I'm worried about what other people would think about me. Now, there's going to be people in our lives, I'm sure, that we have a hard time reaching out to because we're worried, worried about what other people are going to think of us. Oh, yeah, God can show grace to those people, but just not on my turf and in my household. So we want to hoard God's grace from them. And what about the enemy? What about the enemy? That's the hardest. The enemies are the people who've hurt us personally. The the people who've hurt us profoundly in a way that's kind of shaped our lives. Could God's grace really go to them? There's a famous story in 1996 in October in the state of Pennsylvania. A gunman entered a school, an Amish school, and took the lives of five students and his own Now, this story just shocked not just the state of Pennsylvania, not just the United States, but it just went round the whole globe. Everybody stood stunned at that act 
of brutality and selfishness. But what was amazing about this was the reaction of the Amish people, which divided so many people in the world around them. Because what the Amish said was, well, we need to forgive, and we will work towards that. We don't want to hold grudges, so what we're going to do is we're going to work towards a better future, a future that's filled with hope. So we're going to forgive our enemies. Now, a lot of the press looked at that and reacted in two very strong different ways. Lots of journalists praised them for what they did and how they took the example of Jesus literally and began to forgive their enemies and work towards reconciliation and restoration. But there were some members of the press and some authors and writers who said, this is ridiculous. These people should never never forgive their enemy." They should not work to reconciliation. They are completely justified in holding that grudge for the rest of their life. Now, there are a couple of commentators, some scholars, who studied a lot about the Amish life. And they say, no, no, the Amish believe that they shouldn't be holding grudges. And this wasn't about them ignoring their pain. It wasn't about them pretending that the agony wasn't there and wasn't going to exist for the rest of their lives. They weren't pretending that it was easy. They knew it was hard and would be painful. But what they needed to do, in their mind, was work towards forgiveness and to make those steps. It's so hard when people offend us. We have enemies. We have people who've hurt us in profound ways. Here's the question. Is it possible that God's grace can go that far? From the story of Jonah, as he sits infuriated outside looking at the enemies, could it go that far? Well, the answer, infuriatingly so, is yes, it can go that far. His grace is that deep. So so here's the question, though, and it's a big one. Where do we find the strength to do that? I mean, this is hard. How Jonah weighs in on our lives is quite painful. If it's not for you, then it is for me. How are we supposed to find the strength to do this? How do we walk this path that recognizes the depths of God's grace? Well, I think the answer is rooted in the core of the Christian message. We know the story so well, but we love it and we'll never get bored of it. That Jesus Christ stepped into our world. He took on human flesh and lived the life we couldn't live. He lived the life the offenders, the unsanitized, and the enemies couldn't live. He lived the perfect life, sinless. He walked the gutter of humanity. And then what happened at the end of his life? He went to the cross. And on the cross, he paid for sin. On the cross, he paid for our mess and our mistakes and our messy, tainted track records. It's on the cross. If you want to see God's love, God's grace, God's justice, go no further than the cross. Just look there. You want to see how deep his grace is? Look at the cross. Jesus gives up his spirit, says it's finished. Three days later, he rises from the dead to new life so that we could have new life. And then that same grace, the depths of that grace, comes to people like you and me. Here's the story of the Christian message. We're the ones who go wrong. We're the ones who offend a holy God. And yet even still, this holy God shows his grace to us. We were the offenders. But the depths of God's liberating grace saw us go free. 
We were the unsanitized until the depths of God's cleansing grace washed us with the righteousness of Jesus. We were the enemy of God until the depths of God's reconciling grace brought us near. We were those Ninevite people until the depths of God's including grace ran like a river through our failures and brought us into his family. Only those who have personally experienced and stand in the depths of God's grace will ever stand a chance of seeing how far God's grace can really go. That's, that's key. I'll say that again. Only those who stand in and have experienced personally the depths of God's grace into their own lives can stand a chance of seeing how far God's grace can really go to those people. The beauty of this grace, the depths of this grace, is that it goes to them. And even more surprisingly, it comes to us. We're not just forgiven and forgotten. We're made righteous and received. We're not just acquitted and sent away, but we're infused with gifts and included. And when the penny of God's grace or the depths of his grace begins to drop in our lives, we'll see exactly what the whole book of Jonah is getting at. Infuriatingly so, God's grace goes deeper than we ever thought. Now the book of Jonah, we've said, finishes with this cliffhanger, doesn't it? It it finishes with this abrupt ending. (laughs) We don't get the last few verses. But it's like the reader is saying to us at the end, Jonah had a lot to learn. (laughs) He had a lot to learn about how deep and wide and high God's grace really is. Jonah had to learn about the depths of God's grace. So, what about you, reader? Are you going to see this too? Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word and how the story of Jonah uncomfortably exposes parts of our hearts that we just did not want to touch. Lord, firstly, we're stunned that your grace would go to those people. But even more so, we're stunned that your grace comes to us. So we're asking that you would help us by your Holy Spirit, help us to see how deep your grace really goes. Help us to experience it. Help us to know it, to feel it, to live it. And we're asking in Jesus' name. Amen.